0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all, every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: Oh hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist.
3: Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, founder of Summit. And on today's show, I had the pleasure of chatting with my dear friend, Scott Budnick. Scott is the founder of One Community Films, the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, and is one of the most successful comedy film producers in history, as well as one of the most successful recidivism activists alive today. Scott was the executive producer of the Hangover film franchise, and via One Community Films, the producer of Just Mercy, the feature film about Bryan Stevenson, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative. Scott's work with the Anti-Recidivism Coalition began as an annual camping trip, bringing together a few dozen formerly incarcerated young people with positive mentors to offer encouragement, guidance, and resources. And today, ARC has grown into a support and advocacy network of more than 450 members and hundreds of volunteers, and mentors, and allies committed to helping one another through reentry and advocating for a fairer criminal justice system. Talking with Scott is always a great reminder that luck isn't everything. He admits he was quite lucky to land a job with Todd Phillips early in his career, but it wasn't until his encounter with the criminal justice system that led him down the path to creating some of the most rewarding and fulfilling work of his life. So please enjoy my conversation with Scott Budnick. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining me on the podcast.
4: Jeff, I'm so happy to be here, brother. Thank you. Of course. Where, where am I reaching you today? Where do we find you posted up? I am posted up in Los Angeles, California. I just got back from some road trips to Oregon and to Colorado, and now we are uh, quarantining and staying indoors. Fantastic, man.
3: I do admire that. I saw some of those photos. Scott, you and I are old friends, We've uh, been buddies for close to 10 years now, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I uh, would love it if you would introduce the listeners a bit to your work.
4: Absolutely. Um, I'm a bit of a hybrid, to say the least. I started out, I moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Los Angeles to get into the film business and got very lucky that my first job was with Todd Phillips on his first movie, Road Trip. And uh, it was the beginning of a relationship that lasted 16 years uh, professionally and still lasts personally. I uh, started out as a production assistant, then as an assistant and literally by the second movie was a junior producer and then producing all of his movies after that, as well as uh, being the president of his company and running his production company. It was a great run, road trip, old school, Starsky and Hutch, School for Scoundrels that we rarely talk about, Hangover, 1, 2, 3, Due Date, Project X, War Dogs. And I ended up leaving uh, right before we went to shoot War Dogs. But where everything kind of changed for me was uh, after old school, a friend of mine that worked on the film with me, invited me down to a local juvenile hall in the San Fernando Valley. And I uh, sat at a table inside a jail for children with kids 14, 15, 16 years old uh, that were all facing life in prison. I turned to the young kid next to me and said, how was your week? Are you doing okay? And he said, "Uh, it's been a really tough week. I just got sentenced to 300 years to life in prison. And I paused. I said, what happened? He said, my best friend shot the victim in the butt for standing next to him uh, and not touching the gun. Uh, I got 300 years to life. The victim was in and out of the hospital in a day. And I realized in this moment, Jeff, that if this was our child, he would be out on bail. He wouldn't be sitting in that jail. And he would have the best lawyer in Los Angeles and he would get probation and not spend a day in prison for standing next to someone that shot someone in the butt. But because David didn't have our skin tone or our resources and came from the foster care system and had been victims of physical abuse and sexual abuse, et cetera, David was going to prison for 300 years to life. And that was completely fucking unacceptable to me. As I heard the stories uh, around that table, it was really hurt people hurt people. I ultimately told those kids if they make the commitment to change that I'm going to be by their side the entire time. I jumped in to teaching that class every week after. In that same class, there was a kid named Adam who was going to prison for six years for a robbery. Uh, Looked like he was 11 years old. And with his hand shaking, he said, can I get your number? When I get out, I wanna make my mom proud. And ultimately, Adam got out, called me. We were in pre-production on The Hangover. I said, show up, internship, $12 an hour, be early, work hard, 6 a.m. tomorrow. And Adam ended up showing up at 3.30 in the morning and beat everyone to set, ran circles around everyone, attitude of gratitude every day. And ultimately, our prop master said, this is one of the greatest kids I've ever hired. I'm putting him in the union. Adam went into the union, started making $42, $48 an hour. And now his four brothers are in the union, all of them making over $100,000 a year, lifting their families out of poverty, buying their family a house. And I just became the film producer that was very involved in criminal justice reform. and then after War Dogs, and really, or before we shot War Dogs, and after Hangover 3, and really after being in a theater and seeing 12 Years a Slave, I went to Todd Phillips and said, I want to leave and start a nonprofit organization. And he was gracious, let me write out my contract, and ended up starting a a nonprofit called ARC, the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Jeff, that you were one of the founding board members of, so thank you for that, that's now grown into one of the Largest criminal justice reform organizations in the country. We've passed tons of bills. In fact, we were able to end life sentences for young people. I got to go into prison and see David Negretti, who had 300 years to life, and tell David that, Congratulations, we were able to pass Senate Bill 260 and you now have 25 to life. And then I was able to see him another time, Jeff, uh, and let him know that Governor Jerry Brown just decided to commute his sentence. And believe it or not, David who just had twin girls three weeks ago, is going to the parole board in November and is likely uh, gonna be home by New Year's.
3: Congratulations
4: to you and David and everyone. That's incredible. Thank you, brother. And we'll talk more about One Community, but that's kind of the, the, the weird hybrid of movie producer and criminal justice reform guy
3: you've now, you know, refocused both of these things, uh, you know, making a a large impact in the world through your efforts and, you know, producing films. I don't want to gloss over that, but talk about that first experience when you, you know, were producing these, these films and you had a pretty unbelievable and enviable career as a producer, as a film producer. And I remember that when you were going deep into this, people thought you were like kind of kidding at first. Now it's 10 years later and it's the issue of our time. But I recall like it was a lot of side eye for you, correct?
4: I mean, it's not normal for a producer at Warner Brothers to walk the tears of Men's Central Jail at six in the morning and then be in his office by eight. But I'll be honest with you, Jeff, when I ended up leaving the movie business... And starting a nonprofit and taking a 90% pay cut, those were the best five years of my life because the people in the movie business that were real and that cared about more than just profits got involved in what we were doing at ARC. Um, They became a huge part. And I was able to really distinguish who are the real ones and who aren't. And that's when everything great started to happen, right? It wasn't when I was running in the film business that. All of this happened. It was when I left to start a nonprofit that President Obama called and asked me to be on his My Brother's Keeper board. It's when Jerry Brown was calling to ask to help with criminal justice reform. It was when Common and John Legend and Kim Kardashian and many others were calling to get involved, right? And so leaving-
3: Many many of whom you brought to prison for the first time, correct?
4: All of whom I brought in prison, J. Cole, right? Like- Because they're real ones. And it was actually leaving a position of power that brought them all to me. There was nothing I could do for them. I couldn't cast them in a movie. I couldn't help them with their album. I couldn't bring a feature to their album. There was nothing I could do for them. And to see them come and want to get involved because they knew I was coming from the right place and they didn't want anything out of it, nor did I, was just like an, a beautiful thing. Uh, it was a great run, five years running that non, nonprofit and passing... 16 laws in California that affected 26,000 young people that were in California prisons and sentenced to die in prison. Now all 26,000 have a chance uh, to come home and prove transformation. I'll tell you, Jeff, like that's what brings happiness, right? Like sitting in my, in ARC, you've been there, Jeff, like seeing people come and sit on my couch, not big actors, writers, and directors, but People in their first moments out of prison that just Mm -hmm. want a new life, right? And they want to find housing and a mentor or a job or a career. They want to go to college. And it was just the most beautiful thing. But there was so much I learned at ARC that led me to this next step.
3: This overlap between impact and entrepreneurship is something that is, you know, emergent in our generation where it's really something there's, there's a, there's a mutual benefit to it, right? Like there's, there's a, there's a multiplier effect for the outcomes for both when you combine these things thoughtfully. But for us personally to be heart connected to an issue, to actually experience it on the ground, I just want to, you know, I just thought it was a, a story that, you know, I wanted to give light to and credence to because you didn't just tell us, you, 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 you brought us.
4: Yeah, and, and that's really, Jeff, like seeing you guys sitting in that hallway in that creative writing class. And, you know, as Brian Stevenson says that you have to get proximate to human suffering to, to, to change lives and change the world, like, like it's the truth. And it is no one I ever brought into a juvenile hall or a jail or a prison who thought one way for maybe 40 or 50 or 60 years of their life left after sitting across from children, human beings, left feeling the same way, right? It changed everybody's hearts and minds. Doesn't matter Democrat, doesn't matter Republican, doesn't doesn't matter race, doesn't matter religion, even people who are in law enforcement, it changed them. And I realized, Jeff, that like, I had an enormous power in the film business to tell stories that brought people proximate, right? You can't bring everybody into a jail or a prison To witness what you witness, but you can through storytelling, right? And you can through a film or a television show that moves people. And everything changed, Jeff. I met a guy who ran, like, was one of the guys that ran the political movement for marriage equality. And I asked him, How did you literally take the issue of gay marriage off the table? I mean, it was illegal in 50 states. And 10 years later, it's legal everywhere. How did you do it? What was the game changer? And he looked at me without missing a beat and said, Will and Grace and Ellen and Glee and Modern Family and Milk and Brokeback Mountain. It was a television show about a cute gay couple that humanized gay marriage to middle America that got people who were deeply opposed to soften an opposition or even support. And that was crucial and a huge part of the movement to legalize gay marriage, right? And so I realized, shit, the biggest tool I have in my toolbox to change the way that people think about the people I love in the criminal justice system, or immigrants, or refugees, or people struggling with poverty, or people struggling with racism, or women and girls struggling with equality, or environmental justice, uh, broken education systems, people struggling with addiction and mental health, all issues of inequality, that we could make film and television and podcasts to change people's hearts and minds, move legislation, increase philanthropy, et cetera, And so, Jeff, really, with your help and the help of the Summit community, I went out to raise $50 million for this company and brought in, as you know, Roy Salter, who's raised $200 billion for entertainment and created a model which had an 18% return. So, not an Uber, Twitter, Instagram investment, but for someone that wants to make a difference, that's someone that really wants to make an impact alongside an investment and make a little bit of money, it was a good investment. And so, we were able to bring on. Uh, it took literally at the end of year one, I had raised zero dollars. At the end of year two, I had raised zero dollars. Um, couple false start. Uh, if you remember, CITIC Capital Partners in China was going to be the lead, and then they, that didn't work out. And then we talked for a long time with Kobe, um, God rest his soul, who was going to be a lead investor. And although he didn't invest, he was such a supporter, and even bought out theaters for Just Mercy and. Um, did wonderful things for us. And ultimately it was WME, William Morris Endeavor um, and Endeavor content that became our lead investors. And behind them, a bunch of unbelievable uh, folks came. Ultimately, Michael Rubin, who owns the Sixers and uh, Wes Edens, who owns the Bucks and Mike Novogratz and Dan Loeb and Barry Sternlicht, who started Starwood They wanted to invest in something that made them feel great because they were actually making a difference.
3: We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break.
2: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue.
0: Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
3: And Scott, I want to talk to you about Just Mercy. We haven't really cut it up just about this in particular cuz you you are always doing something for the movement. There's always a state senator calling you or an inmate calling you that you're organizing a pickup for. It's like no job too big, no job too small. And there's just like you were describing this huge blend of for profit and nonprofit and impact and you know in your work, but with Just Mercy in particular, you know, like I would love for you to you know walk us through a bit of that because how has the world changed since there was a full feature that told Brian's story?
4: Yeah, it was an unbelievable experience. The fact that our first investment, our first co-finance project was in the issue area that I've spent the last so many years passionate about. And I've also been an enormous Brian Stevenson fan, friend, supporter. We've done panels together. So to be able to support Brian in the telling of his story was unbelievable. The team was incredible Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Brie Larson, all in this to change the criminal justice system, not just make a movie. Our producers, Asher and Gill, director Destin, the studio, Warner Brothers, everyone kind of marching in the same direction. And the difference between our company and every company in Hollywood is really, we're not just an entertainment company, we're an impact company, right? And we're going 1,000x the impact of most anyone else. So obviously we invested in Just Mercy as investors, right? Looking for a return. But separate from that, I raised a nonprofit philanthropic C3 fund to run one of the largest social impact campaigns ever around a film a year, year and a half long campaign around Just Mercy. We started by screening the film for over a dozen governors where I was able to sit next to governors who control mass incarceration in their state, hand them tissues as they were crying at the end of the film and then sit with them and their chiefs of staff and their cabinets and talk about what bills and what reform they're willing to do. And now we're actually working in nine states on criminal justice legislation from screenings of Just Mercy with these governors. We created an incredible partnership with the NBA. Shout out to Wes Edens and Michael Rubin, the Bucks and the Sixers. Shout out to Jeannie Buss and the Lakers and Vivek Ranadive and the Sacramento Kings, Steve Ballmer and the Clippers, Dan Gilbert and the Cleveland Cavaliers. We were able to screen the film for So many NBA teams, owners, players, coaches, Hmm. and then those teams that wanted to take a deeper dive into uh, criminal justice reform came inside prisons with us where the players and the coaches played basketball with men and women inside prison, had deep healing conversations. And now in most of those cities, those teams have adopted criminal justice reform as part of their official platform and have adopted those prisons. Being able, I really, the reason we created it was in looking at places that are predominantly white. When you go to a Utah jazz game, Mm -hmm. the arena is entirely white. When you go to an Oklahoma City Thunder game, the arena is entirely white. In fact, they even pray after the national anthem. And the cultural influencers in those cities are those players, And to be able to engage them deeply in this issue, the teams deeply in these issues, the coaches deeply in the issues, and ultimately the fans deeply in these issues, that's to me how you change, especially in people who haven't experienced the criminal justice system firsthand in their lives or in their families' lives.
3: In film, we've normalized and romanticized violent policing. But when you look back at it, we've double criminalized criminals culturally in a sense, and celebrated this crime and punishment mentality where it's like, yeah, well, you screwed up and now you're serving your time.
4: Well, even look at the, Jeff, you're exactly right. Even look at the procedurals, like all the law and orders, right? Good good guy, bad guy, easy solutions. Yes,
3: Chicago PD or Magnum PI, or I mean, I never saw an episode of either, so I can't really say for sure. But, um, you know, the theme is there. And, you know, I'm curious. So you have people that, you know, think they think one way about this issue and then they've gotten exposed to the content and then the, you know, the, the supporting campaign that you've been building alongside of the content. Tell us about like people who have shifted their thinking through this experience.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been unbelievable. We've been able to engage, um, crime victims, right? People who have lost loved ones to violence. who have been on the other side for the most part, about criminal justice reform, and then having deep dialogues, uh, working with an organization called Healing Dialogues and Action. I think, Jeff, you met Javier Starring when you served on the ARC board. His organization mm-hmm. that has mothers whose children have been murdered sit with mothers whose children have committed murder. You can imagine how deep those conversations are, and they ultimately become great friends because they've both experienced loss. Obviously the Mm. survivor's loss is more intense than a mother who's lost their child to prison for life. But you see the mothers who have lost their children, the most unimaginable thing you could ever go through, soften when sitting with the mothers whose children have done this. And to see the remorse that these mothers have for their children's actions. So we've had some incredible work with uh, survivors of crime Law enforcement. Still, and,
3: and, like, aren't there people like the Koch brothers are like huge supporters, surprisingly, of the, yeah, of
4: the- so, so on our campaign? The Koch brothers, the American Conservative Union, we screened Just Mercy for the National Association of Evangelicals who came aboard in huge support of Just Mercy. People from Pastor Rick Warren to Bishop TD Jakes to Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. We're talking about a white Republican. Evangelical governor of a state where every county voted for President Trump and had been the largest incarcerator in the world. And this incredible man, Governor Stitt, and his wife, two people of faith who live their life in a very faithful way. Governor Stitt did the largest single day commutation of sentence of any governor in the history of this country. And him and his wife saw Just Mercy. I was able to speak to the governor's pastor, who's an incredible man. And we're doing tons in Oklahoma now around criminal justice reform because of the Just Mercy screening and because of the governor. And when I really talked to the people of Oklahoma, they were, many were ashamed of their past. Many were ashamed of being the largest uh, uh, incarcerator in the world. Many were ashamed of some of the racial bias that existed in in the community decades ago. And all of the Oklahomans that I met Wanted to get to a more fair and just system, and so just being able to do this through Just Mercy, and then people who just dove headfirst into the issue. Like I got to give it up for Kim Kardashian, who's using her platform to try to shine lights on people who are innocent or unjustly sentenced. To John Legend, to Common, to J. Cole, to the incredible Allison Williams, who starred in Get Out, uh, even supermodels like uh, Emily Ratajkowski, who've gotten so. Uh, involved in in criminal justice reform.
3: One of the things I wanted to ask you about, just because you know, here we are. We're in a pandemic. There are protests in the streets being led by Gen Z. You know, around the movement for Black Lives, and really, like, there's a huge, huge movement around just. Uh, a rethinking of you know economic participation on the right and the left, and so you work with this intimately for a long period of time with this community. You've seen where it goes wrong. And you've seen the conditions that you can provide for people to make it go right. And so I'm curious because there's people coming out of the military, there's people coming out of universities with crippling debt, there's those that didn't graduate from anything and are just you know like trying to you know get a foothold somewhere in this country. And I imagine this will apply to the other areas of focus that one community films now works on like what are what are so the, what are those base blocks what are the things that you think we can provide to people that in, in ourselves to you know take these steps forward into new lives
4: well Jeff you're you right when you say that justice and mercy and redemption are not either democratic or Republican ideals they are ideals that most people, regardless of political affiliation, share, right? And so a huge part of One Community, that's the name of our company, One Community, is to bring people together under these common values um, around all these issues of inequality to find solutions. And when you talk about this not just being a moral issue, but also being an economic issue, in California to incarcerate one kid for one year, it's $310,000. Wait, 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 wait. But p- p- qualify that. How is that possible?
3: $310,000 for one juvenile in jail in California?
4: I mean, the backstory is there were 10,000 people in there and now there's 1,000. So just economies of scale, they haven't been closing the facilities because they don't want people to lose their jobs and officers to lose their jobs. So they've been keeping the facilities open to a, that once accommodated a lot more to accommodate a lot less now. So where they have four facilities now, they probably could have two and it could cut that cost in half. But that's that's really not that relevant. What's relevant is we spend $310,000. We could send one of these kids to Harvard for four years for that amount. But what's relevant is we don't give them what all the data shows us. And you're talking about these opportunities that change lives and get people to leave crime. Ultimately, we spend $310,000 for seven out of 10 of the people we release to come right back to prison. When all of the research and all the data shows what they need, which is love, accountability, and mentorship, and a job, and a path towards a living wage career, and housing, and therapy, and healing, right? All of things that our children need is what they need. But we keep them in a dehumanizing system that spends $310,000, where seven out of 10 end up failing. If I was The CEO of that business, I would be fired and the business would be bankrupt, but we've done this for a hundred years. And so Jeff, what you talk about and what we did at ARC, and I thank you, Jeff, for all that you did for our members, even bringing some of our members to Summit at Sea. I'll tell you this, to see one person who was in prison for 24 years on that Summit ship, another that had done time in the juvenile system in, in James, who worked for us, who did time in the juvenile system on their first cruise in those panels, learning so much on their own panel, feeling like superstars uh, and talking about social justice and criminal justice reform to the summit community. That was so beautiful. And, and I know, Jeff, you saw when you were on the board of ARC, when you give these folks opportunities, they crush it. And we totally we started amazing. the largest Construction union training program for folks coming out of prison and have placed hundreds of people into the construction union. We had dozens building the Rams Stadium, SoFi Stadium. We uh, have placed dozens, if not hundreds, into the film and television unions, just like the story about Adam that I told earlier. We uh, started the first fire camp with CDCR and uh, Cal Fire for people coming out of prison to become Cal Fire firefighters. We have Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our members in colleges and universities, um, even some that are in law school and learning to be lawyers. And so, uh, you know, Jeff, when you provide opportunity, uh, when you set the bar high and let people know that there is nothing stopping them and they have the mentorship and we are able to use our privilege to to help them get to where they want to get and follow their dreams. It is absolutely the most beautiful thing to see. I couldn't agree
3: with you more on all fronts. In fact, it does remind me, I forgot about Summit at Sea and uh, the ARC members that came on the boat with us. And, and you know, there was an amazing story. There's this like very, very well known entrepreneur, um, investor who, you know, has flown around the world and has his own jet and, you know, has been on plenty of, you know, cruise ships and ocean liners and whatever else he's ever wanted, took a steam on oh, the boat. Oh, this is the
4: greatest story. I love this.
3: And this guy goes into the steam room and it was the, the you know, 19, 20 year olds from ARC who he met in the steam room. And they ended up hanging out for like three hours, actually. I don't believe the whole time in the steam room. That's a long steam. What was amazing, he told me this story. He was like, oh, I have to tell you, this is my favorite experience I've ever had at Summit. Uh, Because I go into the around this corner into this spa, I go inside and I meet these kids who are in their first ever steam, on their first ever cruise, after taking their first flight outside of California, who are like on this ship. And, you know, here I am like thinking that like, you know, the water wasn't hot enough on my tea this morning and woe is me. You know what I mean? And the perspective that he got, he's like, what's incredible about... You know, and this is this is just the beauty of like you know interacting with people that just don't share your background or your experiences is that like their perspective on all the things that you think are absolute truths are are different and and informed in their own
4: way. I remember standing in like the lounge, and uh, this guy who we'll call Mr. K. I think, if I remember correctly, he had come straight from the steam and was in his robe still, and so. Mr. K comes beelines up to me and says, I just had the most amazing steam of my life and just like pins me against the wall and tells me this story. And it was just such so beautiful because, you know, that these young ARC members lives are changing with this experience and they're feeling human and part of society and part of the elite and part of power and part of genius conversations. Right. But on the flip side, Mr. K was only one of multiple people that came up to me on that trip and said, I think I just had the deepest conversation of my life. And I think these people I just talked to have done more work on themselves than 95% of people in society. And I think I've learned more about myself today because of this conversation that I've had. So just the beautiful win-win and kinship that happens when you put people together from those various worlds is beautiful.
3: Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break.
2: If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I mean there's so many critical issues in our society today and just what you said about hope really resonates with me. You know because I feel like we're in a pretty hopeless time where people, you know, can't really see opportunities to get out of their situations, you know, often And, you know, what I'm often seeking on this podcast and just in my life is sort of those like little nuggets of wisdom that empowered the people that, you know, rode that road before you in a sense, you know? So and for you, like when you think about the next issues that you want to apply this work to you personally, like where else are you excited to lean into right now?
4: We're developing a film with uh, Ben Affleck directing and Martin Scorsese and Harry Belafonte producing uh, called King Leopold's Ghost. And I am excited about this okay. because so much of what we focused on is domestic. But this is really a global story um, of King Leopold of Belgium, who decided that it would be cute to have a his own African continent and went to the Congo and made it his own and uh, pretended to be a missionary, but ultimately was uh, a slave owner and enslaved over a million people to make him money off of rubber cut people's arms off, murdered people. That's not what the movie's about. The movie is actually about the first ever human rights campaign uh, led by black Congolese, white Africans, um, white I'm sorry, white Europeans, black Europeans, white Americans, black uh, Americans, all teaming up together to expose these atrocities and really show the world's uh, first human rights campaign. And it's funny that even after George Floyd, I was reading about all of the King Leopold statues in Belgium being toppled and thrown into the river. Mm. But really excited to kind of tackle those issues of colonialism, which obviously are part of our country's history as well, tackling issues of racial justice and bringing people together. Really interested in, in, in destigmatizing mental health issues, working on issues around creating equity and equality for women and girls. Looking at our immigration system, I find the rhetoric around immigration right now absolutely disgusting. And I do believe that if we look at our our immigration rhetoric ten years from now, it is going to be the next gay marriage. We're going to be in shock that we ever did this to human beings. I see it as totally. I see it as what we did around marriage equality, as well as our history with slavery. Um, Those are the issues that are really kind of kind of front and center for me right now. We also. We are in negotiations on a big, huge, major music film, kind of in the vein of like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and Walk the Line that deals with issues of racial justice that I'm really excited about, but I can't talk about yet. Mm -hmm. We're in negotiations on a really uh, exciting environmental and kind of sustainability film that is really kind of human-centered and human-based, which I think is exciting. We're looking at a project that is all kind of Latino and Latinx representation. That's awesome. Uh, we have a small independent film that is a beautiful mother-son immigration story that we're developing. I mean, we are, we're going hard. We want, we want to make change in many, many different issues, but obviously criminal justice reform was, was, was my heart, but we're going much wider. It's amazing, man.
3: And, and when you are building out these, these, uh, projects, I know a lot of it is film finance. So it's something that, you know, you guys will, you know, they'll, they'll often be a director or like the actors signed on or whatever, but I imagine that you're attracting, you know, now, especially that you have a track record in this with combining the impact in the film, you know, do, do actors and and producers and directors seek you out or do you find scripts and you're like, Oh, I happen to know that so-and-so is really into this specific issue.
4: It's funny you say that. It was at first it was the outgoing call business where we I was just calling everyone to try to educate them on one community and it's now the incoming call business. I think we had I mean any actor we work with, we just had such a beautiful relationship with Michael B Jordan on Just Mercy, uh, not only with him as an actor but also with him as a producer and his whole team, Alana Mayo who runs Outlier and his agent Phil Sun and his publicist, Lindsey Gallen. I mean, it's the, everyone is family at this point. And Michael was so interested um, two days before Christmas, which was a, a few weeks before Just Mercy came out, two days before Christmas, we had the opportunity to go to the Ventura Youth Facility where kids have been incarcerated for three to five years, take 15 kids, boys and girls, out of their cells, put them in a van. They had never ridden on the highway in years and take them somewhere where they didn't know where they were going. We ultimately brought them to the Lakers training facility. I and mean, this is something that me and Michael B. and uh, Linda Rambis and Rob Palinka and Kurt Rambis and Jeannie Buss kind of schemed on when the Lakers screened Just Mercy. We brought them to the Lakers training facility and their vans pulled in and Michael B. Jordan walks out and greets them. So that's freak out number one, they lost their minds. Then Michael walks them into the training facility, and there's 15 pairs of LeBron shoes in their shoe sizes, a note from Jeannie Buss with them, a jersey. So they all get their shoes on. They get their jerseys on. We go upstairs and have a deep conversation with Michael B. Jordan and Jeannie Bus, who owns the Lakers, and Linda Kurt rambis and Rob Polinka, and a couple of the Lakers uh, legends, Robert Ori and Metaworld World Peace. And then they get to go downstairs and play a scrimmage on the Lakers training facility. And just when they thought it couldn't get better, the entire team comes out and LeBron and Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma come out and just show them mad love and take pictures. And uh, it was incredible, but it was really, it's Michael B, man. And it's like, because of that, Lakers like Kyle Kuzma have stayed involved in this issue. LeBron stepping out and... Doing stuff on this issue, going big on voting, and just lending their platforms to change lives. And so, yeah, seeing uh, talent flock to what we're doing now because of this, and because Mike keeps talking about the experience, and as people keep talking about the experience, um it's been beautiful.
3: Is there anything else, because you know the theme of the show, Art of the Hustle. I think a lot of the listeners are building their own enterprises, are on this journey. Where they're, where they're trying to create something where there isn't necessarily a path that's laid out for them. You know, anything else that comes to mind for you, like that's empowered you on your journey?
4: I'll say this, man. Um, I would just love anyone uh, listening who wants to get involved in criminal justice reform or wants to get involved in the film and television company. I want them to reach out. My Instagram is scottbudnick1. Feel free to shoot me a, a direct message. The website for our um, Just Mercy campaign that anyone can plug in anywhere around the world is representjustice.org. What we're doing at ARC that Jeff has helped me with and helping people come out of prison, that's arc-ca.org. And uh, anyone that wants to get involved in the film and television stuff, reach out to Jeff. He is my partner. And uh, look forward to just building more with the Summit community and getting... Uh, more active in other things and getting in the Summit community more active with us.
3: Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening. Art of the Hustle. Love you, brother. Keep rocking. For more podcasts from
0: iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what?